Welcome to Noble with Jason Noble, the podcast where we talk about HR and career issues. I'm your host, Jason Noble. We're here to share funny and interesting stories and advice in a transparent and down-to-earth approach. Hi, it's Jason. Welcome to the Noble Podcast. If you're like me, you've probably worked at a company with new leadership. And what's the biggest fear? Change. Change in strategy, process, people, culture. Change can either go well or it can go terribly. And when it's managed badly, people leave. With that in mind, you're going to love hearing from my guest today. Claire Chandler is the founder and president of Talent Boost, an HR leadership advisory that helps businesses expand without losing their best talent. Using her proven growth on purpose framework, she has helped her clients quadruple their engagement, six times the revenue, maximize their profitability, and double their market presence. She has been interviewed on over 150 podcasts, has published several books on culture and leadership, and is a regular contributor to Forbes. Claire, welcome to the Noble Podcast. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be here. So let's start off with uh, telling our audience a little bit about you. Uh, You worked in corporate America for almost 20 years. Uh, How do you help companies? Yeah, I did. So I am a self-professed corporate survivor. I am now helping. Yeah, right. So same. (laughs) I thought I saw you at the meetings. (laughs) It looked familiar. Yeah. So so I now help organizations from the outside. And it's interesting because, you know, you like me, you are an entrepreneur. Um, part of the challenge is always how do we uh, build relatability with our ideal clients? And one of the ways that I do that is because I have literally been in their shoes. I've been in their seats. I have been within the walls of their corporate cultures. And so I recognize the deer in the headlights, the drinking from a fire hose overwhelm and the absolute head-scratching over change resistance that these leaders face. And so, as you said in your intro, I help businesses expand without losing their best talent. So what does leadership mean to you? Oh, it's a big question. To me, the first hallmark of a leader is when they turn around, are people actually following them? And I don't mean in a cult-like trance state, right? But that they are truly followable. If they truly understand that leadership is not a role that they play, but it is a duty that they have accepted and that it is something that they have to earn and I don't want to say prove, but really sort of demonstrate every single day. So to me, leadership is at its core, the ability to be followed where people want to actually follow what you do. Yeah, follow your lead in the direction you're trying to go to achieve a vision that you've created. Absolutely. So new leaders come in and look to make changes, whether it's strategy or people or technology. In your opinion, what's the first thing that new leaders should do? I've worked with a lot of leaders in my life, some that I would never want to emulate and others who are to me the the quintessential followable leader and the best leaders I've ever had the the honor to be around listen first and talk second one of the best CEOs that I ever had the privilege to to work with uh, and work for during my corporate mm. years when he became CEO of our company was actually his last CEO role right before he downshifted and then he went on to our board 
So this was not his first rodeo by any stretch, and he easily could have walked in, seen the glaringly obvious changes that needed to be made, and start to implement his own vision and put his own stamp on the culture. And he didn't do that. He literally spent the first 90 days touring and meeting with employees from every location across North America. And I found that to be so powerful and such a great example of leading with humility and a little bit of vulnerability first by not just assuming that he knew the right way to refocus and re-engineer the direction of the company. So for me, I think the first thing that new leaders need to do, whether this is your first leadership role or your 20th, is go on a little bit of a listening tour. Mm-hmm. And I've had both kinds of those leaders as well. I've actually had, when I worked at Sears Canada, there was a leader who would communicate with the broader team every week, but also started off going around to all the different stores across the country and listen to people and find out, okay, what are, what are the issues? What do we need to be doing? You know, what are you hearing from customers? On the opposite end, there was a leader who just would literally yell at people and belittle them in front of others. And it was terrible. Like just to see it's that. so sort inspiring, of, right? Oh, totally inspiring. Yeah. I wonder why, you know, those other people left, but Hey, you know, yeah. uh, but, but that's, you know, you, those are polar opposites. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's what the intent of these employee engagement surveys was supposed to be about, right? Yeah. That it was all about, we want to hear from you, the employee about what we're doing right and what we need to change. And so many of those engagement surveys have gone off the rails and they have become something other. And so I think we do need to, need to get back to the roots and the intent of measuring engagement with the, with the purpose of improving it is really listening first. So in your opinion, what's the biggest problem leaders usually underestimate? I think you've hinted at it in the introduction, which is change resistance. You know, it, it shows up in many forms, but I think that the root, the root of all of that is employees, just people in general. It is our human instinct to resist something that is different, something that is other. So I think that is the biggest problem that leaders encounter, um, whether it's day one of their leadership role or, you know, they've been in that role for years. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of approaches to, to manage, like what are some what are some ways in which you find help to overcome that resistance? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about coming back to that first step of going on a listening tour first, right? I think your, your example, what you had experienced at Sears Canada is similar to the CEO that I had the privilege of, of working for. You know, he probably already had his strategy for turning around the company fairly well-baked, but he knew enough to know that if he just layered that on top of the culture, everyone mm-hmm. was going to dig their heels in and resist it because it is our human nature to do that. And so what he did instead, which I think so many leaders need to lean in and, and pay attention to this and, and, and do this for themselves, is in the listening tour, he heard common threads and common themes that he could then weave into the strategy that was already more than half baked mm-hmm. and say... You know, this strategy is based on the combined efforts and input and insights and ideas of every one of you, because I do deeply believe that people support what they help to create. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When when you've got you've got that automatic buy in, because if it came from everyone else and you're amalgamating that to your point, how can you be against that? That's right. Your idea. 
So let, let's segue to culture. So we, we like to feel comfortable. And, and part of that is working with people we worked with before. We know what to expect. But that can go awry if a new CEO brings in her team and culture starts to shift. So how do you avoid creating tension between an old culture and a new one? I see this all the time in, in any company that is growing, whether they are growing by combining companies, you know, two different entities, whether they are growing through expansion into a new division or a new product line or service line, or even if they're just expanding one new hire at a time. I think one of the biggest sources of tension is not just the difference in how I view culture and how you view culture. It's the the sort of um, the clash of, well, that's the way that the culture used to be. Let's just throw out everything and let's start fresh. And again, that rubs against the human tendency to resist any sort of change, even if it is, you know, there's a reason that the saying is the devil we know is the devil, you know, is better than the devil we don't, right? Even yeah. if we know it no longer yeah. serves us. And so we think part of alleviating that tension <clears throat> is to acknowledge what got us to, to this point, right? Because there are some successes in that legacy culture or those legacy organizations that we want to be able to bring forward. But we also have to have the discipline and the, and the self-awareness to know what to let go because it is no longer serving us. So we think it's a it's an iterative process. All of these types of things, when you're trying to build better cultures, which I believe is, you know, culture is foundational to success. They mm -hmm. take more time than we want to get, but it is time so well spent because if you don't have the right culture, you're doomed to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And there's been a, so I've worked in a number of different organizations, I guess you too. And, and one of the things that I've heard when I've gone to new organizations is, well, you know, we've always done it this way. Why are you looking to make a change? It's working for us. Oh, really? So, you know, when I was at Sears, you know, the, the revenue is going down, fewer customers, yada, yada, yada. If it's working so, if, you know, if everything's working so well, why are you getting the results you're getting? So it is really about you know, rethinking and transitioning that old culture to new. That's, to your point, that's really tough to do. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, there's sort of this muscle that we have to build up of letting go of what no longer serves us. But there's also this muscle of bringing down the walls of kind of sharing what our best practices have been. Mm -hmm. I work with a lot of companies that are growing through, whether it's mergers or whether it's just sort of, you know, expanding divisions or bringing on new groups of employees. And so I'll come in and, and help facilitate some team dynamics, you know, really kind of strengthen that. And it seems to happen every single time, you know, where you've got a group of people where you have some folks that are very long tenured employees and they kind of sit in the room and I, I, I liken it too. I'm really going to date myself when I reference the Muppet show, but the two older gentlemen who sit up in the balcony and they scoff at all of the people on the stage because they are the, the wily veterans of that theater. And they yeah. are constantly sort of scoffing at, you know, the, the new ideas and the new performances. And so you've got, you know, some of these longer tenured employees who literally will sit there with their arms crossed about, you know, the, the, the new fresh faces coming in with all of this enthusiasm and all of yeah. this wide-eyed wonder who yeah. don't have the experience that they have. And what's interesting is this happened about a year ago. I was doing one of these sessions and one of the newer employees was saying, you know, I, I, I keep banging my head against the wall because there has to be a template, a framework for what this, this problem that's on my desk that I'm trying to solve. 
And, you know, the, the, the two Muppet Show people were sitting in the room and they said, well, we have that template. And it was like mind was blown, right? Because they have been here all along, but they didn't yeah. think to lean into kind of the onboarding, the acculturation process. So we think right. it's it's equal parts. You know, there's this let's dig in and resist and let's also hold on to the secrets that keep our job secure. Yeah. The other thing, too, and you've probably come across this, I, I know I have, is, you know, been there, done that. So if someone's been there 25 years, it's like, okay, we've tried that already and it didn't work. Well, there could be a reason. There's a reason why it didn't work. It, it, may, it may have been done differently than what you're proposing to do now. Times are different, whatever it is. But I've come across that a lot. I imagine you've come across that as well. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I, you know, it, it does certainly work both ways. I think the leaders at the top of an organization, if they're trying to grow and they're trying to strengthen their culture, first of all, they have the biggest impact on that culture, but they have to strike a very delicate balance. And it is delicate between honoring, honoring the sort of the best practices of the past and what worked well that we, you know, again, want to bring forward mm -hmm. and, you know, again, letting go of, of what doesn't, but it does require delicate mindful intentional leadership because you want to respect the people that have gotten you to this level while also inviting in equal measure the input and ideas of those quote unquote naive newbies who maybe don't know how things have been done who maybe don't understand the legacy of well we tried that and it failed or we tried that and it was shot down so yeah it's a it's a delicate process but i think leaders it's incumbent upon them to facilitate those conversations so a company hires you to help them navigate through a change. What's one of the first things you address with your clients? The first place I always start is clarity. And I know that's a simple word, so let me kind of explain that. A lot of companies think they know what they are in business to accomplish, their, their, their why, their purpose, but most of them don't. And so that is always the first place I go is to, I want to deeply understand what their aspiration is. But I want to to also make sure that they know what it is. Too often, if I speak to leaders one on one and I ask them, what is your aspiration? What is your mission and vision? I get a variety of answers. I get as many different answers as the people that I ask. Either they're fumbling for the right words or it's crystal clear to them, but it is completely different from what is crystal clear to the next person. Without that clarity, it's sort of like, you know, setting a course for Mars. And all of you think you're on a different trajectory, right? It, you're off by a fraction of a degree. You're never going to hit your, your mark. Yeah. So it's really important to, to, to check that. And I always emphasize that to the nth degree with, with clients that you need to start from a point of clarity and then regularly check back in with yourself to make sure that you're still on course. So let's talk about talent management during periods of change, because people head for exits when there's uncertainty, you know, especially when there's bad communication. How does a leader keep people on track and avoid that talent drain? <sighs> this, this happens so often at the, you know, at the point of growth, at the point of significant either internal or external change, and certainly at the point where, you know, an organization wants to get better, get more committed, get more disciplined about fulfilling their strategy. I think one of the biggest mistakes that CEOs tend to overlook is they skip the step of making sure that their entire workforce at every level of the organization understands the journey that they're on, understands that this is why 
this is the strategy. This is why this is the trajectory toward Mars. This is why we are going to grow in this way, whether it's combining forces with a, with a competitor or expanding into a new division or product or service line. CEOs tend to underestimate and skip that step. And what they fail to realize is the more time they think they're saving by just jumping into the growth strategy, the more time they're building in onto the back end because of that human nature to resist change and to dig in and say, well, since they didn't take the time to explain the why to me, I'm just going to keep doing what I do and wait them out. So is there a quick way to boost engagement? I think one of the, the best ways is to get groups of employees together, whether you call that a listening tour, whether you say we're going to do team dynamics, whether you just have, you know, town halls that are more purposeful, one-way, unidirectional communication. That is one of the best ways to, to engage people and help them along that journey. There are other ways to do that as well. You know, there, there's this, this old legacy saying that if you set out to develop every one of your employees, you end up developing no one. And I no longer think that that is true. I think in the age that we live in, with technology being what it is and AI assisting us in building training and development opportunities, there is a way to invite every single person in your workforce to drive their own development. And, in, and do it in ways that keeps you aligned with the trajectory that you're on in terms of your longer-term growth strategy. So I think it's bo mm -hmm. both of those things. I think there are immediate opportunities to bring people together and help them strengthen the sense of community, leadership-driven, but then also that self-driven development by introducing those sorts of opportunities that I think technology has en enabled us to do at very low risk and low investment. So what, what are some landmines to avoid during transition? There's so many. There are so many. But I think, so you know, let's there, talk about it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think there's there's three really that kind of that, that, that I see sort of flare up time and time again. The first one is that lack of clarity that we that we talked about. You know, I think as companies try to grow or change or pivot or evolve, if they are not consistent and aligned in terms of that clarity on why are we doing this? Why are we in business in the first place? And where are we trying to get to? So they have to not pass go. Right? They have to not skip that step. So there's that lack of kind of mission or aspirational clarity. I think the next one is a lack of, of preparedness. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's, it, it's too easy. And so many organizations do this. They say, okay, we're going to grow, which means we're going to staff up. Well, staffing up, there's no magic button for that. Certainly not now. The war for talent is here. The one that we have been talking about for 25 years is upon us. And so, you know, th this, this lack of preparedness comes in the form of either hiring the wrong talent or bringing in the right talent, but putting them in the wrong roles and then trying to fix the person or adjust the person versus adjust mm -hmm. the role. So we think, you know, organizations have to get really clear on, on their mission and aspiration, but then they also have to prepare their workforce to fulfill that, that vision. And then I think the third one is really a lack of decisiveness. So it's all about lack, right? It's not about what we have in abundance. It's about what we're missing. And this lack of decisiveness, I talk to leaders all the time and they kind of complain and they say, oh my gosh, there's information overwhelm and there's no time to be strategic and you should see my calendar. The calendar of a CEO or an HR executive would make you cry. I mean, there is there is no like you couldn't put a business card in between the meeting slots. There's no time for them to 
take one step back and make sure they're still on the right trajectory. But part of the, 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 the downfall of that, and there are many, there's stress and there's burnout and there's overwhelm, but they also are so flooded with noise that they don't know how to make the right decision. And so instead of making a decision, even if it's a small one, they say, I have to wait until I have more data. And I started to laugh when I started to, to, to go there because it's every single leader, you know, when I go to them and I say, when is the last time you had 100% of the information you needed to make a, you know, an informed and confident decision? And they start laughing before I even get the question out. They're like, like never, exactly. Never, never. Exactly. Never. And true leadership is about making decisions in the moment mm -hmm. that help keep you on course for the longer term goal. Sometimes you're going to make the wrong decision. And that's why it's so important to have a culture and an environment where you can fail forward. Yeah. And just to your earlier point about being prepared, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in, in my, my travels, my corporate travels, is that when companies have looked to staff up without solving the culture, the problem first, so level setting, that can also lead to issues because now you've got almost like these choppy waves. And if, if these are not settled, if they're not calm and you start bringing on new people, those waves can get even more choppy. And, and I, I, I've seen that and that's something where people start to get, you know, that that's where the fear comes from. Well, hold on. You're bringing all these new people. What does that mean to me? Yeah. Why have we not gotten any sort of clarification about A, B, and C? What's this going to, you know, it's all about me. What is this going to mean to me? And there's That's fear right. of job loss. There's fear of, you know, being demoted, whatever it is. Well, and, and if to your point, an organization staffs up without doing that groundwork of getting really clear on the types of talent they're looking for to make sure mm -hmm. they get the right talent, not yeah. just what's the best available Anything. or right. right? Yeah. Um, right. I think it's, it's super important because what ends up happening is if they don't do that upfront groundwork. And bring in the right people who will amplify their strengths and help them address gaps. Yeah. The turnover is only going to spike. And what ends up happening is the people that have been with you the longest, who have ridden out all of these ups and downs and the swirling that you just described, are going to get tired of it. They're going to get tired yeah. of now having to not just compensate for vacancies, but now overcome the disruption that happened because you hired the wrong person. And, and to your point, I've seen C-suite people bring in their buddies and their buddies are not necessarily the right fit. So you could have someone who can, has the skills and experience, can do the job with his or her eyes closed, right? But when it comes to the culture fit part, it's just way out to lunch, like Mars and Earth. And, and that causes, that causes huge disruption. Yeah, it does. And again, people leaving for the exits. Yeah, which is why, and that's just a perfect illustration of going after the best talent versus hiring the right talent. Exactly. Right? And I see this, I was just having this rant with, with a colleague of mine yesterday. I see this most often when companies are hiring salespeople because they say, oh my gosh, we see this, this guy or gal at our competitor and they're an absolute rock star and they're a rainmaker and they're bringing in all this, yeah. this might we want that person. And they bring in that person. And to your point, what ends up happening is, they're a rock star because in that culture, they were encouraged or incentivized or empowered to be the lone wolf. But in your culture, you might have a more collaborative environment, or at least you're trying mm -hmm. to, right? And how yeah. often is there, you, you used a, a key word earlier, tension. How often do you see tension 
between the salespeople who make a promise to a prospective client and the operations folks who now have to deliver on what you promised. Mm -hmm. And so if you hire the best available talent, but you bring them into a culture in which they don't fit, not only are you going to fail that higher, but you're going to set your, your growth trajectory backwards. So this was a great discussion. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? <laughs> there's, there's so much. I mean, we could talk all day, but I think, you know, one, one of the things I want to make sure your audience knows is they don't have to try to figure out all these steps on their own and trip over the same landmines that, you know, the clients that you and I serve have already done and figured out, you know, the, the, the right path. You know, I've, I've been doing this for a number of years now. And I, I have this framework that I apply when I'm working with my clients, and it's called Growth on Purpose. Very intentionally named, right? We start with purpose. Again, this sort of aspirational clarity. And then it really helps organizations as they are trying to expand, grow in a more intentional way. And so if your audience is interested, they can go and grab a one-page version of what that framework looks like and how they could implement it at clairechandler.net slash roadmap. Okay. So just before we go, we're going to head into a segment that I call the no bull round. It's just a couple of quick Q&A. So here we go. You're an author. Which book has had the most influence on you? That I've written or that I've read? That you've read. Uh, probably Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. Okay. How long ago did you read that? Probably a couple of years. Well, I, let me think now. It was probably right before COVID, which is now a blur. So several years yeah. ago now. I'm, not, I'm now, yeah, I'm reading her Atlas of the Heart right now, which is mind-blowing yeah. as well. Okay, good, good. You ever read uh, Chris Boss's book, Never Split the Difference? Yes. I talk also about a it a lot. One. Love that book. My that's number one book. Yeah, that's yeah. a fantastic yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. So uh, speaking of books, I notice you follow Gretchen Rubin. <laughs> you probably read The Four Tendencies. I have. So I'm an upholder. Which tendency are you? I'm a rebel. <laughs> really? The, yeah. I think that's, oh. Yeah. Only in business, though. It's interesting because I'm a lifelong. I never would have figured. I know. I'm a lifelong Catholic, but I just took that quiz. And yeah, apparently I'm a rebel. So, yeah. Very good. All right. Well, I'm going to put it in the show notes. It was great talking with you. Why don't you just share with our audience, you know, the best ways for them to reach you? Sure. Uh, so uh, hit me up on my website, which is clairechandler.net. My company website is talentboost.net. And LinkedIn is my social media of choice. So come connect with me there and say hello. All right. Well, Claire, I really appreciate your time. Great conversation. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate us and spread the word. Do you have any questions or suggestions, or are you an HR leader that has great stories and advice to share? Then send me a note at podcast at noblesearchgroup.com. That's podcast at n-o-b-l-e searchgroup.com.